Welcome, folks, to Cult Cinema Catacombs, and welcome to an episode that basically will be titled, What Have We Gotten Ourselves Into? Yeah, Our last episode, possibly. <laughs> we, are, we are getting ourselves in trouble, all right? That's what's going to happen. Just accept the fact that... Um, this is the one that gets us in trouble. Yeah, cause we got to handle this with 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 kid gloves because it's a, it's a sensitive subject matter, but it is a film that deserves to be looked at because its heart was in the right place, but its execution wasn't. Um, of course, I'm joined with uh, with uh, Mr. Farmer here, Andrew Farmer, and lurking in the background is producer Chris. Always in the background. Producer Chris is always in the background. Always there. Especially with this episode because we're dealing with uh, the 2005 Hallmark television movie. Uh, Probably the... When it comes to Hallmark... I mean, Hallmark has basically... It's either murder mysteries, romance, which I can't believe is a genre... Or Christmas movies. It's Bro. Christmas movies seven months out of the year. Yeah, and so, I grew up in a house that in September, you, the the Christmas movies started, <laughs> and they didn't stop until like March. March, yeah, <laughs> April. <laughs> April April through August was the was the murder mystery romance movies starring some cast member from Full House. But, the, but, the, but between Hallmark and Lifetime. They always and, – and for those of you that don't know, I have approached a few people now with an idea to do an entire podcast reviewing Hallmark and Lifetime movies. <laughs> so I have seen a few of these. Um, but one of the things that they all – like once every six months because you can go through – just if you're ever curious and, and you have some time to kill. Go search. Just go do a just just search for Hallmark movies or Lifetime movies, and then just put a year in, because there are upwards to ninety to a hundred per year that these assholes put out. Yeah. And every once in a while, they throw a real curveball at you. Sometimes they develop a cult following, like Mother May I Sleep with Danger uh, developed a cult following, and even a remake with um, um, with uh, What's-His-Face. Uh, Was Jan- that the Will James Ferrell Franco. one? No, James Franco one. Yeah. Um, yeah and Will, Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig did a what we thought was going to be a parody of these movies, but it actually turned out to be a serious... Well, well a serious it, it, for a it was a parody, but they played it completely straight. Yeah. Which yeah. is fantastic. So, you know, some of them have went on to develop cult following. Some of them have went on to become notorious, like the, uh, and the notorious for the wrong reasons. Do like, you know the Muffin Man? Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, like the Aaliyah um, biopic and the, and the Whitney Houston biopic. But with this one here, when it comes to notorious Hallmark movies, this this one will always be, I think, the benchmark for how everything that was good intentional can go wrong so fast. And that's the 2005 movie, Riding the Bus with My Sister. Yeah, because the thing is, the 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 ones <laughs> the ones that are fun to make fun of, right? Like um, Mother Might Sleep with Danger. Yeah, yeah. Like any of the ones that are just so over the top that they're fun to make fun of don't involve subject matter that is 
possibly the most touchy subject matter that you can, because there's no way, I kind of hate you for this and I love you for the challenge, Roy, (laughs) because there's no way that it's, you know, if, if they're tone deaf when talking about sexuality or romance or, you know, trying to open a small bakery at Christmas and... Uh, <laughs> That's 90% of the Hallmark Christmas movies Listen, right there. 90% of the Hallmark Christmas movies are... Um, Rachel Bleason is trying to open a small bakery in um, in a place called uh, Frost Falls, Minnesota, and Mario <laughs> Lopez wants to buy it for a big... Uh, Ver, but buy all of the land so that he can open office buildings and then they learn to love each other and he still buys the land but lets her keep her bakery because women don't matter in Hallmark movies um, this and, and the bakery is movie. in the office building he works out of so that way they can be together mm-hmm. right and then you this have Kelly Pick- then you have These Kelly Pickler coming out to sing Silent Night five times in the same movie no just somebody that looks like it's the it's the <laughs> It's the Canadian Kelly Pickler. Wait, is Kelly, it's the Canadian Kelly Pickler just Kelly Pickler? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> this one, on the other hand, is based on a true story. This this one's uh, based based on a um, memoir that Rachel Simon wrote about her and her sister Beth Simon. So this is the, riding the bus with my sister is about Rosa Parks' sister. Oh, my and God. And how they fought for equality during the Civil Rights Movement, right? Please no. uh, direct all of your letters to producer Chris <laughs> at... <laughs> no, that's oh. far from it. This oh. this is this is about um, a, a sister uh, who, ha- who, it's, who has a sister who is um, mentally handicapped, and um, apparently there's like a lot of family history that goes on. She uh, it basically really didn't um, want anything to do with her sister because she was kind of embarrassing to her. And the uh, sister who was mentally challenged relied on her father a lot and the father passed away. So now suddenly the sister Rachel has to kind of take come in and become caregiver for her sister. And the whole, I mean, the whole thing was basically about how she suddenly got a jolt of reality when it comes to how people who are mentally challenged are treated in this world and everything. And she grew a better respect for her sister and everything, which is commendable and great. And yeah, handled in the right hands, this probably would have been okay. And the thing is, is this should have been okay because of the talent behind it. Well, but the thing is like, so you're, you're in the, you're in the casting room. You're creating this. Your director, otherwise known as Angie McDowell, um, I don't know what awards she's won, but award-winning Angie McDowell. Yeah, and then is, and then you've also got you know the directorial debut of Angelica frickin' Houston, who is Hollywood yeah. royalty already. I mean, her father is a, a well-known director, and she's a well-known actress. And you go, well, we really need somebody that can that can pull this off. We need nuance. We need, you know, we need the, the real deal here. Who can we call? Well, Rosie O'Donnell just had a failed talk show. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so when, when you... And, and Andy McDowell, who really is just a poor man's Mary Steenburgen. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was going to say a poor man's Mariel Hemingway, but whatever you want, yeah, that'll work, too. too. So we've got Andy McDowell, and 
you know, when you think of subtle actresses, you think of Rosie O'Donnell. I do. I you, go straight to Rosie O'Donnell. You know, because she was so subtle in Exit to Eden. and the Next play. season, The Handsmaid Tale is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I so... Yeah, let, let's 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 cast the woman who played Betty Rubble in the live action version of the Flintstones. There's a reason that that Jerry Lewis movie about the the clowns didn't get actually made. <laughs> Rosie O'Donnell is the female Jerry Lewis yes. in this situation. So so they cast her in the role of Beth Simon, and I mean, honestly, there's no better term to use. And it's a horrible term because it comes from Tropic Thunder, and <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> and I, I apologize in advance for using this term, but it best describes. You're just quoting a movie. Yeah, I'm just quoting a movie, and it best describes what Rosie O'Donnell does with the character. She goes full on retard. And that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. Have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> she basic. She basically. I mean, at least with the clips that we've seen so far, we haven't watched the whole movie yet. But with the clips that we've seen so far, Rosie O'Donnell's quote-unquote performance in this movie, it, it makes Cuba Gooding Jr.'s performance in radio subtle. Which is our next film, by the way. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would love to do radio. Um, the uh, Well, she her performance is Kenny G's circular breathing of insensitivity. <laughs> You're looking at it and you're cringing because you're you, you, you at least with the little bits that we've seen, I'm going, oh my god, that was an acting choice because there's no build up or anything. It's just okay, action and Rosie's like, ah! you know, throughout right, the whole thing. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's, it's like that video. That, there's this video out there where this woman is wearing a, a horse mask, trying to be all zen like. And suddenly this little kid runs by the video screaming, I'm making the poop! And um. <laughs> that basically describes the clips that we saw of this. Because you just got this, like, 
serene moment, and then suddenly here comes ah, Darth Poopy. I will say this: this movie has has hit the point, and it's it, you know you've hit in cult cinema catacombs tier. When I when the first search I do for the movie title, the second thing that comes up on Google is drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> So there are people in this world more insensitive than we are because they made a drinking game out of this. God, what's the drinking game for this? I'm going to find it because we, we probably should at least post it. I don't drink, but but it's there. Um, oh, my God. Can't believe yeah. there's a drinking game for this. That's gotten how... I mean, I guess that's a way to make it fun. Um, I guess... Oh, there's a lot of them. There are quite a few. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But. Uh, yeah, it, it's there. Go ahead. <laughs> but, yeah, this film has achieved cult status just because of how apparently terrible Rosie O'Donnell's performance is. <laughs> Excuse me. In this film. And, I mean, Rachel Simon released a quote. That, as you said, you don't know whether or not this is actually praising the movie or not. Um, or, you know, it's just something that she felt contractually that she had to say about the movie. Sometimes you write an email to your boss, is all I'm saying. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you got to eat it and, and be like, I got to, you know, because there had to have been press. She had to have been getting questions. You know, I'm sure that her book sales went up in light of it. So she had to do something. But it doesn't feel genuine to me you know yeah. it, it definitely because the quote she says is it's a poignant moving powerful film it also portrays both characters as well as the struggles of special sibling relationships in a more realistic way than we usually get to see in film and presents bus drivers as the everyday heroes that i now know them to be in addition the movie highlights some of the main themes from my book Beth's right to live her life by her own choices, the importance of public transportation for a fully independent life, the essential need for friendships in the community, and the challenge and the rewards of a sibling bond. Nowhere does it say she liked the movie. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is exactly the kind of thing that I would write if somebody came and said, hey, we want to do a TV show based on your podcast. <laughs> We're going to need you to write something up for your fans so that they'll watch this thing. That's the kind of thing I would write if I hated it. <laughs> you know, if it was Zach Braff and uh, doing a TV show based on this podcast. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that I would that I would write if I was like, okay, I'm being forced to write this thing. No one was said, I really enjoyed this film. Nowhere in it did it say, this is the, you know, Rose the O'Donnell gave a true performance. <laughs> now, here's the most, I mean, with, with, with everything that's going on with, you know, this movie, uh, we've got the pairing of award-winning actress Andy McDowell, we've got Rosie O'Donnell, we've got Angelica Houston, uh, not hosting, but directing the movie. Garth Brooks wrote a song for the movie called "Let the Conversation Begin." Oh Lord, was it Garth? Was it what, what year was this? This was two thousand and five. Oh. Okay. However, Hallmark refused to <laughs> to allow the song to be used 
because Garth Brooks wanted to perform the song as Chris Gaines. That's what I was literally just going. That's why I asked what year it was. I was literally going to ask: Is it Garth Brooks or is it Chris Gaines? <laughs> yeah, he was recording it as Chris Gaines, and so the studio said no. <laughs> you know, that was that was the line that it drew. They drew the line at Chris Gaines. That's where they drew the line. <laughs> God damn it! I need another week to process that sentence. Can I? <laughs> <laughs> Out of everything that happens in this movie, that was the part where they said, okay, that's a little too far. Right. That's where they draw the line. It wasn't at Rosie. I guess, you know, once you sign the contract, you've got Rosie, and they're like, listen, we didn't do any research on Rosie O'Donnell post-1997 before she signed this contract. She's on board. I can't have standing outside the fire recording a song as emo uh, as, as emo Baton Rouge over here so uh, we're going to have to pull the plug on one of these two things do you think Garth Brooks would play the part that Rosie O'Donnell was going to play well no okay then he's out <laughs> oh man that is amazing yeah that, that out of all of the little trivia bits I read about this that was the one that cracked me up the most was the fact that even they said no to Chris Gaines. Uh, <laughs> it was a Lifetime movie. That's a huge get for Lifetime. Or was it Hallmark? It was Lifetime? Hallmark. It was Hallmark. Okay, that's a huge get for Hallmark. And here's the thing: is is that when this was broadcast on television, this was not broadcast on the Hallmark Channel. This was broadcast on CBS. Right. So it was a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie made for CBS. So this was huge. There was, Hallmark I, didn't have a channel at this time. No, they didn't have a channel at this time. And I remember that they promoted that hell out of this movie. Now, I heard, I heard a rumor that because this was so poorly received by those in the medical community that CBS refused to air it again. And that's why Hallmark made their own channel to show their own shit. This was the catalyst? Yeah. <laughs> because they got, the CBS got a lot of backlash for this. So, so this movie's responsible for the Hallmark Channel. Great. Um, that answers a lot. Um, Listen, <laughs> if there's one good thing that came out of this movie, it's that, it's, that, it's that my parents get to watch Christmas movies seven months out of the year, <laughs> in which Mark Paul Gossler is a horse rancher. And... Um, lives on a farm in Frostburg, Montana, and Rachel Gleason wants to buy his land to open up her bakery. And, uh, <laughs> so she has to enter a gingerbread building competition. Right. And, with, and, and, with and Paul Gosler. Yeah, and she has to compete against Tiffany Amherthesen. In this competition. ghost of Wilford Brimley. <laughs> don't forget, her real dream is to be a singer, but she put on a hole to run the bakery. Yes. And, right. then, and, and then, have a baby. And then they go to Graceland. And she hires uh, Rosie Perez, uh, <laughs> sister. Not adopted. Who, who um, appears as she, a ghost of Christmas future and tell her what's going to happen to her since she changed her ways. Right. It's called, it's called Christmas Time, I'll Cut You. Yes. <laughs> Mother, oh may I god. sleep with Christmas. Oh my god. So, uh, what else we got on this thing? Anything? 
that we want to talk about? Um, well, judging from the, like, like I said, I've only seen clips. I haven't seen this whole movie yet, but, but judging by the clips that I've seen of this movie, it looks like Andy McDowell was uncomfortable being in this movie. Well, why not? Yeah, no shit. Uh, <laughs> she had this look on her face the whole time, like, I am firing my... Uh, my, manager. Uh, my manager, I'm, fi- I'm firing him after this movie is done and wrapped and over with. I'm finding a new agent. <laughs> why can't you give me the respect that? Oh, I've made this movie. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how bad? How mad are you at Angelica Houston at this point? That's what I want to know. The thing with Angelica, I mean, I, 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 she knows better. Yeah, I mean. She knows better. Well, then again, I can't say that she does know better because her father is John Houston, and he did Myra Breckenridge. Yes. So we have a connection to another movie within this. We've created meta now within our podcast. So, you know, at the end of this movie... Rosie O'Donnell wakes up to realize it was all just a dream too, and she's really a man. Yeah, she. Yeah, Rosie O'Donnell at the end of the movie wakes up screaming. Guys, Angelica Houston worked really well with Rosie O'Donnell in the Adams Family movie when Rosie played it. (laughs) Thought this would work, really ran it down. Yeah, just they, didn't just didn't work this time. So I'm anticipating at the end of the movie, Rosie O'Donnell to wake up in a bed screaming, "Where are her tits?" Yeah, that's good. Yes, and a, and a bunch of doctors smoking around her. Yes, <laughs> man, that would be great. That would that would really that's the director's cut. The director, the ghost of the director's cut. That's what that is. <laughs> I I mean. It, the thing with Angelica Houston with this movie is, you know, she needs to thank Wes Anderson for existing because her career after this movie really didn't go anywhere unless you want to count Daddy Daycare. Um, but I mean, <laughs> but you know, she was on a couple of TV shows and everything. But I, I remember she lost some credibility because of this movie. Uh, no. Oh no, she lost it long before this film because of one thing. The Ewok movie. (laughs) She was not in the Ewok movie. She was. She was in one of the Ewok movies. Hold on. I need to find out if that was her in the Ewok. She was not in the Ewok movie. I could have sworn it was her. That was not her in the Ewok movie. Uh, Here's her filmography. She was in Ice Pirates, which is a fun movie. go, go Go to TV. And, and go to Captain EO. She was in Captain EO, but Captain even in television. Yeah, no, she was not in the Ewok I movie. Sworn that was her. <laughs> Who was that in the Ewok movie? And this has been special. This has been uh, this has been the uh, the special segment we call Chris accuses people of being in the Ewok. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> Expect it next ish next episode as well. <laughs> The in the Ewok movie. <laughs> I want this to be a reoccurring bit now where you just start accusing people of being in the Ewok movie because neither of us know whether they were in the Ewok movie or not. <laughs> <laughs> that bitch was in the Ewok movie. God, okay, five minutes. Let's go find out. <laughs> Raquel Welch. Oh, she was in that Ewok movie. Um, <laughs> that bitch was in that Ewok movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Good. Well, well, on that note, are we ready to dive into? No, I mean, are we ready to board this bus? No, but <laughs> why not? 
All right, we're going to take a little brief pause here. When we come back, we will discuss our thoughts on riding the bus with my sister. Here we go. Oil seats ready. You know you're always first with me, Beth. Every day you are first person on my bus. Yeah. She'd kill somebody to get on first. I wouldn't. I wouldn't kill. She's got no place to go, just rides around all day. So it's a free country. I'm a person. I buy my bus pass for 40 bucks and I'm first always, so that's why I'm first. Yeah, you do it on the government dole. I want you to do something useful in your life. Okay, Henry. Where is Beth going today? I'm gonna go to Elma, now I'm gonna catch a bus with Rick. Ah, Rick is your new favorite. Yeah, because he has a, he has a green card, he's cute. <laughs> a green Mustang, very classy. Yeah. I think he's gonna take me for a ride in it. What about your boyfriend? What about Jesse? Jesse's delicious. He's gonna take me today to get a new toilet seat because mine got broken and was sliding. I thought I would fall off of it like, whoa! <laughs> oh boy, we're back. Um, we I, I want us to go back now and listen to what we said in the first half of this compared <laughs> to what we're about to say in the second half. Because <laughs> this is this has to be from what we thought it was going to be to what it was the most galvanizing thing we've watched yet yeah it really is and that's saying a lot because we've seen the terror of tiny town and i think this one's probably more galvanizing than the terror of tiny town this one this was more this was worse social justice than myra breckenridge yeah this was and that's saying something it's it is saying something because it's such a and we'll get into more details to why we think it's such a bait and switch movie it is a real bait and switch movie oh god yes um but I can understand also after now finally for, first of all, how long did it take you to watch this movie? Um, in the time allotted that I had to watch it, I watched it straight through. And matter of fact, so uh, um, full transparency, I watched it while I was going back and forth to work, which I have about an hour drive to work. So <laughs> it took me so it took when I was on the pure freeway portion because you know I'm a safe driver um, <laughs> that's when I would watch it so it took me a, a two and a half days of allotted time to watch it and I will be and, and uh, the other part of this full transparency I could not wait to get back into it when I when I had to stop it because I was at work <laughs> I couldn't wait I, I could not wait to get back into it because yep. it so uh, as a point of as a, as a point of comparison, this movie for me is the same as the Firefest documentaries that are currently on Hulu and Netflix, <laughs> which I've yet to see. But I've heard uh, that I, I, I've heard that watching just, the Firefest documentary, it really should never have happened. I mean, the idea go, should go never get, have been mentioned. Go get like two milkshakes, set yourself up because you're good. It's it's it is a juice. It is, and I followed it on on you know on the internet while it while it was disintegrating. Oh, so did I. It was it it was such a bloody train wreck that there was not enough popcorn to watch this thing fall apart. And when I saw that they were making a documentary about it, of course I'm going to watch it. But yeah, I've heard the initial reactions, yeah, watch, and I'm like, oh my god! 
<laughs> watch Hulu and then watch Netflix because the Hulu one is kind of the pre Firefest, mm-hmm. and the Netflix focuses mainly on the actual events that transpired at Firefest. Yeah, because I love so that they got people pieces. They yeah. really are, but that, I digress. It's the same thing for me where I wanted to watch the train wreck, <laughs> you know, so badly that that I couldn't wait. Like I was rushing out of work and like pulling up my, my phone to watch the rest of this stuff while I was driving home. God. Uh, <laughs> Surprised you didn't have a wreck yourself. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's that's valid. Listen, do as I say, don't do as I do. All right. Yeah, it took this, us. That's how much this show means to me. <laughs> my life. It took to watch Rosie O'Donnell scream. <laughs> I'm only going to tell you two times. <laughs> It took us how long, uh, Chris? Because it's only an hour and 32 minutes, but it took us how long to uh, get through it, it? It took us about two and a half hours. Because we had to keep pausing. We, we started it at around 8.30 and ended around midnight. That's surprising to Three me. hours. Yeah, we had to keep pausing because for well, us... Some things we had to go back and rewatch. Yeah, we because we're like, wait, that just happened? Back it up. And... <laughs> <laughs> so there we would some definite that just happened, and I and you know what? It's not even worth getting into the actual plot of it because it's all in the title. Well, and the thing is also is that I was doing the research on this, and I found out that um, first of all, it is a really condensed version of the book. Um, it has to be. Well, not only not only is it a condensed, but it is butchered like crazy. Like I am pissed. They, I, I feel horrible for this woman who was the author. And I'm going to be completely honest right now at the top of the show with my with my probably my most unpopular opinion. Oh, God. So I hope you both are set up. Oh are you God. ready? Are you ready for this? Yeah. I feel sorry for Rosie O'Donnell in this film. Yeah. I you know what? I kind of have to sorry. agree. Yeah. I mean, because we made we poked fun and we will poke fun as we talk about this. But we poke fun at her portrayal. Right. But I will tell you one thing right now. She left 110% of it on the court. (laughs) She took took that role and ran with it, not knowing. And I don't know if she knew what was going to happen with the film or not, but I can't imagine she was happy with with what ended up being this film. She couldn't have. I mean, because we'll get into director choices and and try to figure out what Angelica Houston was thinking in a minute. Mm. Um, she was still trying to fit into that Adam's family dress. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, th- with with the story, I found out with the original book that there's an additional sister that was cut out, and so they took the they they took the sister character and a lot of her stuff and incorporated it into Andy McDonald's character. Um, Andy McDonald's character is also not a photographer. I forgot what job she had now, but she was not a fashion photographer. I don't want to throw up um, in my mouth a hundred <laughs> times. Um, let me see if I can find out here real quick. While, while I'm looking that up, not only did they, you know, make those changes, um, it has been said, and we can totally see what they mean after watching the uh, movie, that both the performances of Rosie O'Donnell and Andy McDowell in this movie were amped up to a grotesque level. And they really were. And I don't think, I I honestly don't think that it was partly the acting choices. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Andy McDowell 
was amped up. She was asleep through half the film. <laughs> well, no, no, Chris, Chris, I, I want to make this. I want to make this argument um, that at some point, well, here's my thing. I think she was why. So I here's what I see happening. Angelica Houston calls Andy McDowell and says, "Andy McDowell, you haven't been at anything in a while. I'm directing this thing for CBS, and and I really want you to do it. It's based on this book. Go ahead and read the book." And tell me, you know, if you're interested, I'll, I'll send it over to you. And she read the book. She said, yeah, you know what? That's a real juicy part. It's a good character. I can lean into it. Then she gets the script probably on like two days before shooting because it's a made-for-TV movie. And then she was like, oh, God, what have I done? Yeah. So I don't think she was comfortable at all. No, she didn't look comfortable at all in this movie. Like she was squirming in her own skin like through most of it. Okay, so – And every time they cut to her face – Look, look at our faces. It's clearly, oh my god, and already I want to go home. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so like, Rachel, what did I do? Rachel, who is the sister that Andy McDowell played in this movie, she was actually a writer. So she wasn't a photographer. She was actually a writer, which explains why she wrote the book. Um, but it's a weird choice for the movie. Yeah, to be a photographer. It really was. It, it was. It was because like because it led because what being what the photography did was lead to. The most, what I felt were the most uncomfortable scenes in the entire thing. Oh, you mean when she's doing the um, the fashion show with Jesse, uh, the fashion photography spreads with Jesse? Did I miss something, or had she met Jesse before? No, she hadn't met Jesse before. This so was, yeah, she's going to she's going to walk into a park and just start taking pictures of mentally handicapped people. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, there's a plot there. There's a plot hole. In the flashback sequence later in the film, the big, the big twist. Oh, we will yeah. get to that in a minute. But, yeah. but I will say she states, you know, you don't know what Jesse's intentions. Now they mentioned Jesse. Yeah. So maybe they did. And it was like a, a cutting room floor thing. I don't think anything oh, was they, on the cutting they, room floor of this movie. I think we saw it oh, all. Oh, their dignity was. <laughs> or they knew of Jesse and just she had never met Jesse because it's pretty clear that she's an awful human being and never went to mis- visit her mentally handicapped sister ever. Oh yeah, she had to. And that's the other thing that's different from the book is that I mean they mention in the book that in their late thirties they grew they've grown apart, but she still was in love with her sister. She still would visit her, and I mean in in this movie she only rides the bus with her for about three months and agrees to be a caretaker for three months. Where in the original book, it chronicalizes an entire year spent with her sister and getting to know her sister again and seeing how handicapped people are treated in society. The book sounds fascinating. This movie made me want to read the book because it sounds like that the book is such a better product than the movie. Um, But going back to the acting choices, um, because there are moments where Rosie O'Donnell, you you feel for her. There are definitely moments Touching, in this movie right? where you feel for her. Touching moments. And I could tell that these are the moments that Rosie wanted to do something, but I think Angelica Houston thought that, I mean, I, I, I don't know if it was clear that she, it, 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 she didn't have Down syndrome, but. She, I, I think the idea was that she was, it, she was extre- like, like extremely autistic. Yeah, because she could still take care of herself, and obviously Jesse was kind of a high functioning autistic, almost like a borderline Asperger's, which wasn't made clear by the way. Not at all. No. Until until later, 
and the, and the woman and the person and the little girl who played the the girl version of Jesse. Wait, it actually looked like she did have whatever Jesse had because yeah. it came or more Beth, natural from Beth her. Beth. And it, I mean, not, I mean Beth because it, it came yeah. more natural from her. It didn't seem forced and over the top. Where with Rosie O'Donnell, you had those moments where. You know, your heart goes out to her. It's touching and everything. And then all of a sudden, she just goes into full tilt boogie Pee Wee Herman mode. Well, she, and it were, destroys some, everything that she's done. There were some genuinely, genuinely, like, almost shed a tear touching moments in this movie. Oh, like the scene They're where really, she held the baby. The baby, oh God, the baby part was, was, was dead on, like, for real good. Mm-hmm. Um, the... The part in the, the the this is a weird one, but the, there was a part later in the film where they were going to um, they were going to dinner at a restaurant where she had always tried to use the bathroom and they wouldn't let her. Oh, the Italian and restaurant, was, yeah. And it was and it was it was Andy McDowell and and Jesse and and Beth, it was Rachel, Jesse, and Beth, and that scene was very touching because it was the you know well why do you love Beth. You know, those conversations were, were very touching. And when, when it was intimate like that, but then you're right. Then it would flip to, like, um, whatever was next. And, and smash cut to, you know, her in the at the grocery store or whatever. And you're just like, good Lord, stop. I turned down my car stereo because it was playing through that. And it was too damn loud. Um, but, yes, it was, it was, it was that. And I think that's the part. You know, okay, so let me ask you guys this. Since we're talking about this, have you ever in, in your real life, in your human lives, and I think we have a, a, a quantitative what, about 120 years of life between all of us here, ever seen anyone treat a mentally handicapped person as poorly as pretty much everybody in society treated Beth in, in public? In the open. Not oh, as no. not as extreme as they did in the movie. I mean, I've seen some people, you know, sometimes be like eh, or anything, but they wouldn't be vocal about it like like the the like the the Ted Raimi wannabe character on the bus. Yeah, the dad from Alf on the bus there. Yeah, I I mean I've never seen anything that blatant or anything. And I you know I, growing up I've I've rode on my share of buses and I still do today. And you know, whenever you see somebody who does have some sort of a of a um, you know a, a disability or anything, I've never seen anybody react like that at all. I've never seen anybody just blatantly go, "Get a job, get out of society, you're sucking away the money," blah blah blah, like that. And I was just she like, "She can't ride the bus because she doesn't have the right bus pass, and she should have to get off the bus." Like, re- like you're really leaning into. The hour and a half you have to show how society treats people, to, in order to show how great these bus drivers are. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, I want to know producer Chris's um, feelings on these flashback scenes. Oh, you mean the sepia-toned um, yes. uh, <laughs> moments with mom bitch from hell? Because I had some, I, I I was watching them, and I'm like, I'm really interested to talk to Roy about a lot of this. I'm real interested to talk to uh, to producer Chris about about what a raging bitch queen this mom is. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There there are three bait and switches in this fucking movie. <laughs> Here we go.
go. All right. Let's let's, oh, yeah. There are some huge ones here. Let's start with the mom. Yes, please. For most of the fucking movie. <laughs> Mommy Dearest was all about, you know, we got to take care of Beth. We're here for Beth. Take care of Beth. Do for Beth. Remember, Beth is the same Beth, as you. Beth is the same as you. She's different, but she's the same. There are things that are different. Whatever, take care of Beth. Until Dick comes along. Then Mommy discovers Dick. Then right. something's like, right. all about, you know, Raymond. Raymond the revolving the dick door starts. Yeah. Yes. You know, when Dad walks out in the family and leaves Beth with Mom, suddenly, you know, Raymond Dick walks in. And she's like, ooh, man Dick. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and do this guy and just screw the kids. Now so I've got a man in my life. So you Chris, that, that leads me to the one thing I wanted that the, I was telling you guys before the show started that there's the most interesting scene I've seen in any film that you that that Roy that you have uh, twisted my arm behind my back to torture me with um, <laughs> is in this movie and I can't I'm gonna have to go through and find the actual timestamp but it's the last flashback. Oh, when the father comes to pick up um, the brother and uh, Rachel? No, I guess it wasn't the last one. It would have been the second to last one. And I don't remember what what triggered the flashback for Rachel, but she walks in after school and she's a little older. And mom goes, she's on the couch with this guy. And the guy has like a sleeveless t-shirt on, like, like a half mullet and like a weird, like too close cropped beard. And she and she goes, honey, meet Ron, or or whatever his name is. I want to say it was Ron. And Ron just looks over at her, takes his drink, swigs his drink, puts his drink back on the table, like while glaring at her, and then it cuts away from it. That's all we get. Mm-hmm. It's the I most gotta, interesting I gotta, I gotta thing I've seen in a movie. I got a rapey vibe about that, but then it, but then it went nowhere. Yeah, but it went nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. the most interesting thing I've ever seen in a film, Roy. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, honestly, that's what I thought it was going to go with, too, is I thought, oh, God, don't tell me the boyfriend rapes Beth. Please don't go there. It, it didn't, thankfully. But where it did go, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, when that happened. And, yeah, it was just such a weird, creepy moment, especially... Uh, Rachel's reaction when she was like, sup? And right. <laughs> it wasn't just a what's up or anything or hey or anything. No, it was a, it was like a Bud Light. What's up? It was the weirdest thing. It really was. I don't understand it, but oh, okay. Just keep, just keep going. I can't. Okay. <laughs> so, so that was the first bait and switch moment is mommy dearest. So the next bait and switch moment for me was where save save the big reveal for last. Yeah, that was the biggest bait the and big switch. Big bait and switch for me that I found. Oh god, I've lost my train of thought now. We got interrupted. Um, it it would be for well. Let me let me focus on one thing real quick. What this movie should have been. This is the second. This is the second one. This should have been a heartwarming tale of two estranged sisters brought back together due to a family tragedy where the the handicapped one learned that she does indeed need someone in her life and the 
career-driven sister realizes she she needs to learn compassion, and they find each other again. And, right. But that's not what you get. No. <laughs> that's not what you get. So the ending is a bait and switch. The third bait and switch for me at the end of this thing, which was really like, what the hell? This is not Beth's story at all. No. 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 It's no. Not. no, it's Rachel's this has, story. This has absolute shit to do with her. And you see, and you think that with, the, with, with what everything leads up to prior to it, is that this is going to be about Beth's struggle in society to try to live a normal life. Yes. Nope, it's about Rachel trying to better herself and maybe possibly use um, her sister Beth and, and, and maybe um, um, uh, um, her uh, Jesse and everybody to further her career while finding her heart again. I see. Yeah. No, what I what what I took away from this film was that the entire film was Rachel's never going to find a man unless she can find compassion through her sister Beth. Mm-hmm. Because because what happens right as soon as she goes back and talks to her weird boyfriend who answers the phone in his house studio um, <laughs> is, <laughs> which was real weird. I was like, what? Oh, you mean uh, oh, you mean Rick the bus driver? No, 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 no. The first guy, her actual, like, the guy in California that she lived with. Oh, yeah, the, the one-dimensional character who really was pointless. Oh, Tim. Yeah. Oh, no, no, he had a point. His point was to tell Beth that Beth that Beth was wrong. That's his point. No, his, his point was to tell her she's a bitch. Yeah. And, and so what I thought was going to happen was, and I haven't read the book, right, but what I thought was going to happen was, and maybe this happens in the book, is that this guy leaves her, kicks her out. She goes back. She goes back to, to stay with Beth, and meets Rick the bus driver, Haji Maji, and um, <laughs> McDreamy the bus driver. McDreamy the bus driver, and you know, realizes that you know, you know, that you can find love, and then you don't have to be powerful, whatever, and then you can, you know what I mean, and starts a photo studio in, in town where she can be close to Beth and, and has a romance with Rick, and everybody lives happily ever after. Nope. 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 Not at all. Finds Rick, makes out with him a little bit, sits on a hill and looks at buses, and then uh, as soon as she can, she nopes out of there, go right back to California. <laughs> And see, here's here's an issue I have with this. This whole thing is about trying to find a way to teach Beth to, you know, take care of herself, be independent, whatever. Oh, she hates working. She hates having a job. Why didn't they try to get her to get a job at the bus company? She knows the lines. She, she has every fault. I mean, that's where the that's where I guess the high-functional autism, kind of like the Rain Man element comes in because she had everything memorized. She knows everybody. She knows the schedule. My common sense tells me, hey, get her a job there because she knows everything. She knows it. It's obvious that everybody in the bus company, except for that one prick, the the heavyset guy that she teases, it's obvious that everybody... Adores her and loves her and is protective of her. Yes, they could have even easily given her a job. Very well, easily. So it was very telling for me that the movie opens almost opens with Rachel getting to town and them having their first meeting with the social workers. You know, and you know whoever is whoever is assigned to Beth, and then I'm guessing their boss or another psychologist, right? And they're all in the room together. 
and you know Beth is giving her her Beth answers, and Rachel's there and arguing, you know, and arguing against Beth. And then the next time that it happens at the end of the movie, which is really convenient book ending for this movie, by the way. <sighs> yeah. The Beth hasn't changed. Rachel has changed. Has nothing to do with Beth. Beth still says, "I'm gonna eat junk food. I'm gonna dress the way I want. I don't want to have no job." And no Rachel's character like, growth at all. No character growth at all. Let's go get some ice cream. Yeah, and and Rachel's like, she's a grown ass woman. She can do what she wants. She can take care of herself. Peace. I'm gone. You can ride the bus by yourself now. I've learned to appreciate you, so I'm gonna go get my man back. Yeah. Like what? What is this movie? And honestly, so mad. And honestly, with what we learn about what she did, she did not deserve that dick. Um, no. So the big what the fuck reveal of this movie? God, yes. Is I mean, this whole time we're seeing you know that there's this distance between Rachel and Beth, and and blah blah blah. And she's starting to accept Beth for who she is and everything. Um, All of a sudden. After the scene where, I mean, they had their fights and everything, but after the scene where we see that Beth is holding the baby and you, you see the, the, the light tears coming out of Beth's eyes and the sadness suddenly kick into her face, which I think was actually the best acted moment for mm-hmm. Rosio in the, in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then they start having the talk about... You know, her not being able to have babies. With, you know, we, we get to the... Uh, earlier in the movie, it's mentioned that her tubes are tied. Which is just like flown out of nowhere. But then we get the the, 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 the resolution, the, the callback to that. And it's actually kind of hinted that it's more than just that. Because here is Beth sitting down as an adult. And, you know, Jesse's in her life. And Rachel and their father are basically guilting her into having a hysterectomy. Because she can't take care of her because of Because of how she is, she's not going to be able to take a baby. And so they gaslight her mm-hmm. in, into having this hysterectomy. And when she's on the, the gurney and they have put in the um, anesthetic to knock her out, suddenly she realizes what's going on and she's like, I changed my mind, I changed my mind, but then bam, she's knocked out. So we suddenly realize this bitch-ass family, because they felt she wouldn't make a good mom, took away her choice of being able to become a mom. At that point, any sliver of respect I had for Rachel and their father died. And I didn't think after that that Rachel deserved her happy ending at all. Nobody did. No. The, the only person the only person in this movie that deserves a happy ending is Beth, which she got because she got what she wanted. And she got Jessie. to live her own life. Yeah. And Jesse, who, by the way, uh, Roy, you nailed it. Jesse was the best actor in this entire film. Oh, yeah. I instantly – I, yeah, I my, my heart instantly went out to Jesse. And I it just – it was just a great character – um, the actor who played him did a really good job, especially the scene when Andy's quizzing him in the restaurant. And she realizes he really he, he really does care and love her, and I mean it's just some some great great moments. And I can't I can't think of a scene where he didn't do a good job. But yeah, I, I can think of some scenes where he was put into some weird positions, like 
doing kung fu in a park. Um, <laughs> this is Tai Chi! Which doesn't make any... Yeah, she really... Can we talk about that in a, for Look, a second? Because again, This is Tai Chi! Look, I'm in Cookie Mountain! <laughs> again, I felt like... I felt like she really left it all on the field. Like I felt like she said, "You know what? If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it." And I think I think that there are parts in it where she did a really good job. I think there are parts in it where maybe through direction, like, "Okay, can we get another take and really take it to eleven on this one?" Mm-hmm. Like, I think there were some very questionable decisions that director Angelica Houston made with this movie. Really, really questionable moments. But I mean, we could talk about that because, like, there were. Like the like the the scene at the laundromat where and by the way and I I'm not gonna um, I don't even know what kind of shaming this would be Andy McDowell but she made some questionable sitting choices that I would like to discuss. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, and now here is Andy McDowell trying to sit in a laundromat chair. Trying to sit anywhere, yeah, in, in, in any way that doesn't look like she's uh, going to relieve a pitcher in the seventh inning, um, <laughs> or that she's constipated. I mean, it's like there are some scenes where it looked like she was trying to relieve like, herself. Well, not only that, but like she had a hemorrhoid flare up and she was, was looking for to the believe and relieve herself. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but there's a scene where she has to make a phone call to say that she's going to be there for like three months. On Beth's couch, mm-hmm. and she's just you know, she's just Nolan Ryan and all over that couch, just <laughs> just spread out, just legs akimbo, and then in the laundromat as well, like like just just all over the place. Like anytime she was sitting, like I was like, "What are you doing with your legs right now?" That's not how humans well, sit. Even when that she's at sit. home and she's reviewing her photographs at home on uh, projecting them from her laptop onto her big screen TV, it's like I'm waiting for her to attempt to grab her foot and try to pull it over her shoulder with the way that she's sitting because it looks like she's she is going to try to do some sort of bizarre yoga stretch at that point. She doesn't know how to sit. Annie McDowell does not know how to sit. I'm going on record right now and saying that. She's trying to Lululemon her way through sitting in this thing. <laughs> nice. Nice. Can we have shirts made that just say Annie McDowell doesn't know how to sit? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I was – it was very distracting. All right? That's all I'm going to say is I was trying to get into this movie and then Annie McDowell would sit down and I would be taken right out of it. Uh, you could tell that Annie McDonald the scene the scene where I could tell she finally just checked out of this movie is when her and Beth have the big fight and how they uh, you know say that that you know they basically there are times that they just hate each other and there's a scene where Annie McDowell just goes <sighs> okay look <laughs> at that point I could just see on her face her realizing my four weddings and a funeral green card days are over. <laughs> and see about that scene. I got. I gotta say though, when she screamed at Beth, "I hate you," and I hate this da 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 da. Rosie was perfect in that scene because the look of shock on her face. She was great. And without saying, "I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that." No, don't say that shit. That's how you feel. Leave on that note. That would have given some credence to the role because right. we knew because we know the whole time through. That's really how she felt. Yeah. 
And it was it was such a shock to her sister's system that I mean her sister just I mean her sister had every right to blow up the way that she did. But Rosie Rosie's response to that was like, okay, now that that's that's how you do it. That's the real deal. Thank you for finally giving me the real deal because to Rosie's credit, with this with her role, right? She really leaned into the idea that if it is autism, um, that you don't have that regulator that allows you to lie like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You, you you wear it all. You know, if you broke your toilet seat, you talk about breaking your toilet seat. If you told somebody twice and you're not going to tell them again, you tell them that. Hard, direct honesty. Yeah. And, and again, I didn't – I hated some of the choices that were made, I think, for Rosie in this. But I went into this – to watching it thinking I'm going to hate Rosie in this film. And I didn't. So I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> well, it says a lot about Angelica Houston's directing ability because, I mean, a good director can pull out an amazing performance out of anybody. Case, case in point, Quentin Tarantino. I mean, he could, he, I, I mean when, back in his heyday, he could pull out one hell of a performance out of people who are not really known for their good acting. Uh-huh. I thought that you were going to tell me that Angelica Houston directed Quentin Tarantino in something. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> and then a horrible director like Tommy Wiseau, um, you know, he if you don't know how to direct, then you can't really pull out a good performance from anybody. No. And so this this is clearly so, – I mean, I don't know if did, – did Angelica Houston direct anything prior to this, or was this her directorial know. debut? I um, let me find. I'm going to go to her career real quick here. Well, um, and while you're doing that, I do have something else to say about about this movie. No, this was not her directorial debut. Her directorial debut was a movie in 1996 called "Bastard Out of Carolina," which was um, another uh, made-for-television movie for Showtime. And apparently, you she kidding me? Oh, I'm sorry. Keep going. I'm appa- sorry. And apparently, she won Best Director for this at the M- at the Emmy Awards. And oh no, I'm sorry. She was nominated, but it did win an Emmy Award for Best Out uh, for Best Outstanding Casting. And it was screened at the 1996 Cannes Film Festival. So it's not like she's a horrible director. I mean. And she also directed a, another um, movie that was apparently well beloved called Agnes Brown, and um, then on to riding the bus with my sister. I'm so mad at myself right now because the guy that played Jesse is Richard T. Jones. Yes, Richard T. Jones has been in some of my favorite shit ever. And he was so young when he did this that I don't think I recognized him. He is a great actor. Yes, he is. Uh, in, in films such as Event Horizon, which was one of my favorite horror movies. Um, he was in Vantage Point. He was in Concussion, the Will Smith movie. Mm-hmm. He was in uh, Godzilla. He was in The Phantom. He's been in some really interesting roles and then he was also in the why did i get married movies which is ironic because i made a joke you did um, about (laughs) this about not since janet jackson and why did i get married Two did a female role not deserve her happy ending Mm -hmm. like what happened with andy mcdowell's character in this so yeah you make you make your gay closeted husband commit suicide and get killed only to end up getting married to the rock yeah 
Well, no, let me let me finish what I was saying before. When I first started watching this movie, and Andy McDowell's character first came in, I, I've known people with autism, I've known people with Downs, I've known people with all kinds of different mental whatever. And by the way, whether you're suffering from anxiety or depression to full-blown, you got Downs, baby. Whatever it is. The one thing I've noticed, everybody, everybody in this movie treated Beth like she's made out of glass. Very precious, thin, spun glass. Do this for her. Do that for her. Do this, whatever. Andy McDowell comes in and says, no, you're going to learn how to cook. You're going to take care of yourself. You're going to get a job. She was direct with her. For the first part of it, I was on Andy McDowell's side. She's not playing games. She's like, you've been basically spoiled your whole life. Mom told us she's different, but she's not different. Treat her like everybody else. Nobody else did that. Nope. Everyone treated, treated Beth like she was literally a fragile China doll. The sheriff, yeah, that's her father called her. Yeah. And Andy Medell's like, no, you're 30-something goddamn years old. Uh, yeah, you've got this, this mental thing going on, but you can take care of yourself. There are people who do this, who do this. Blind people do this. Deaf people do this. People with all kinds of things going on in their lives still manage to take care of themselves. And you're right. She is a functioning, um, what was the word? Autistic. Autistic, or whatever she was. Whatever she was. Yeah, I wish they would have made that clear. I yeah. really do. So it wasn't ever really made clear in the movie, I don't know about the book, what she actually had. But Andy McDowell came in and said, no, I'm going to help you learn to do this. You've got to be whatever about your health and everything. Just by the end of the movie, just a dude flips the switch and go, you know what? I'll let her eat junk until she's, you know, dies at the age of 42. Besides, mm-hmm. I'm the one that got rid of her parts. Yeah. <laughs> just, I feel just, guilty because we're ripping out that's her That's not bit. the answer, right? The answer isn't... We go back after three months and say, I've discovered that she can take care of herself, so we aren't going to help her get her get her life right. We're just going to let her drive herself into the ground with junk food and, and whatever. Which is what's going to happen because, uh, you know. Which is what they all agreed on, then skipped down the road, and Andy McDowell peaced out when she got on the bus yeah. and left. Yeah. It's a horrible ending, an absolutely horrible ending. One last. One it upset me. This movie yeah. upset me, like yeah. viscerally. Yeah. I think. I think out of all the movies that we have seen so far, our ninth movie, this is the one that probably upset us the most, and it was because of poor decisions made in the movie. I'm hoping. I, I am curious to read the book now. I'm hoping that there were better decisions made in the book than there was in this movie. So who knows. One last thing to mention about this movie before we announce uh, our title for episode 10 was, um, Andy, you messaged me when you watched this saying, please make sure you pay attention to who did the music for this movie. (laughs) It was the first thing I noticed. Yes, yes. And so we're sitting there, we're watching it, and suddenly the name comes up, and I'm like, wait a minute, Stuart Copeland from The Police (laughs) did the music for this movie? And it was like the most basic, it was like, Music you would hear on The Sims. The most yeah. basic music ever. And I'm like, you were the fucking drummer for the police. This is what you turned in? <laughs> hey, they had that they had that uh maudlin uh acoustic guitar sting for every every oh, uh, 
for, for every flashback they had. It was, it was like the go-to public domain music on iMovie, basically, to use for this movie. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. No, that was that was it. Like, like, I saw that pop up, and I was like, what? I was like, what did it just say? Yeah. It's, it's, that, it's, and that scene that happens, by the way, for the record, one hour and 18 minutes into the film is where that is where that scene is. Oh, the re- the so, rapey vibe scene? The creepy vibe scene, yes. Got it. One hour and 18 minutes in is the creepy vibe scene, I think, is that's that's accurate. Oh, well, there two, are two more things I want, I want to mention. I was really afraid of a plot twist that the whole reason for the hysterectomy originally was that the dad was molesting her and didn't want to get her knocked up. Oh, I don't think, but I do. I do think that that is kind of the direction that they were going. Yeah, and then I, and I called it. We're watching. We're making. We're making dinner that night and waiting for Jesse to come over for gin, for dinner. I'm like, I said before it even happened. I said, Oh, please do not tell me he's going to get jumped and killed. He got jumped. <laughs> he got jumped and almost killed. And sure as shit, I'm like, Oh god damn it! They're going to they're going to they're going to do this to him too. The only likable, genuine character in the movie. The only non deplorable. They did. They killed. Yeah, they did. I don't know. Uh, Bus Wizard McDreamy was pretty good. Well, Dropping that Gandalf wizard on everybody. <laughs> <in the show. laughs> well, I mean, basically, he uh, basically he was like uh, the best friend from Showgirls in this movie, the uh, Jesse, and it's like he, it's the character you wanted to not see anything bad happen to, and something bad happened to him. Here's so. here's the best way to describe this movie. If you thought Faye Dunaway was kind of low key. And mommy dearest, just wait till you see Rosie O'Donnell is Beth. Yeah, I've got to be honest and say I cannot recommend this movie. No, um, I can't. I mean, it's just. No. I mean, if you are morbidly curious, fine. But and honey, to, we do mean morbid. To say that this is one of the worst Hallmark movies ever made God. is saying a lot. And th- and th- that is really saying a lot for us because we watched that goddamn Kelly Pickler Christmas in Graceland movie last year, where like uh, six times she sang Silent Night because apparently that's the only Christmas song Kelly fucking Pickler knows how to sing. That's uh, all the money they had. <laughs> yeah, they spent all the money filming at Graceland basically. And Kelly Pickler, and then they were like, "Shit, we need music." I agree. I can't. This is the first movie that we've watched that I can't find a, even a reason for people to watch. No, no. I cannot recommend this no, movie at all. Not at all. Nothing. Not one Not one moment, not even out of sheer morbid curiosity could I recommend it. If you want to go right ahead. This movie, uh, makes, me, this movie makes me wish I had Downs. Oh. Ouch! <laughs> wow. Up to the point at which the big reveal happens, I think I probably could have... If, if, if the ending would have been different, I probably could have suggested that moment it. was the showgirls rape scene moment of the movie because yeah. I mean because as much as I do get a kick out of watching showgirls, I will admit that the moment the rape scene happens in showgirls, it gets really rough. It is really downhill from there, and at that point, you stop enjoying the movie. And I mean, this could have been an interesting potential midnight movie to happen. But, salvageable. Yeah, salvageable in that aspect. But then the minute when you find out that the family gaslighted into her having a hysterectomy, at that point, you're like, oh, no, I can't respect any of these people at all. You know, get out of here. Yeah. 
It, it just it just yeah. turned everything around to the point where you're like, the, I just fucking wasted my time for an hour and a half on this. Again, it, again, I imagine that the book handles these things a little more elegantly. I hope so. God, I hope so. I hope so. Because I can see certain arguments for certain plot points that if given the proper depth and do, you could you could make a certain case for. Because okay. there's got to be something that had to have happened in Beth's life to make them think she was not safe to be a mom. But there's got to be something that instead of just saying, well, you're mentally handicapped. Or as at one point, you know, Andy McDowell's character flat out says, my sister's retarded. You know, her husband, her husband, boyfriend, whatever, is like, wow, I didn't know we used that phrase still. Yeah, I, I, I'm the... <laughs> I'm the uh, arbiter of all of uh, of all social justice. <laughs> How dare you not tell me, uh, you know, uh, bang photographer, that uh, you didn't have a, a, a family at all. I just yeah. assumed you didn't because you didn't tell me. Now, I'm a man, and I'm telling you as a man that you're a horrible person because I'm a man. So now you have to leave because I'm a man and go check on your sister because I'm, I'm a, man. a man. And while you're there, try to find you a magical bus man <laughs> that can teach you right from wrong. Now get out of my house. I'm a man. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. All right, well, hopefully the next movie that we're about to uh, cover for our 10th episode is a palate cleanser. Also, take your camera with you, because I know you can't make a genuine human connection unless you're looking through a viewfinder and out a lens. Thank you very much. Did I mention I'm a man? (laughs) (sighs) Sorry. This movie made me mad, Roy. I can tell. This movie made me mad. Well, hopefully the next movie will will calm our nerves because this is our next movie we're about to look at. For I, I purposely saved this for the tenth episode because I wanted to wait till we get to the double digits to do this one. This next movie we're about to watch. This was the catalyst, actually. Oh, thank God for this show. This thing. This. Oh, thank this, God. The, this this was the movie that you came up to me and said, "Hey, have you ever seen this movie before?" And I was like, "No, I've heard of it, but I've always wanted to see it." And then that's when he came up. It's like, hey, let's do this show where we see these movies and then we talk about blah, 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 blah. Uh, the, the movie that we're going to look at is the 1975 Australian, I, I guess it's more of a, I don't know if it's a, a horror film or if it's a mystery or a drama or whatever. We'll find out when we watch it. But I've heard nothing but good things about it. Um, it's the 1975 Australian movie Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yeah, baby. Uh, which is based on a best-selling novel also about uh, the disappearance of these schoolgirls and their headmistress. I've been waiting ten months for this. Because <laughs> um, I was like, this is the one we'll start on. And then Roy's like, no. Have you seen Myra Breckenridge? <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, 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 that, uh, is that, you know, they did, um, back in May of last year, Amazon Prime did a new adaptation of yep. Picnic of Hanging Rock as well. So it'll be, you know, I mean, it, it'll be good to go back to uh, and see this original movie. I, I, I mean, I don't know if I'll watch the um, series that's on uh, Amazon Prime or not because I, that takes commitment and I've got other things to watch. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm very curious to see this movie. I'm looking forward to it. In, in fact, I think we can. I can go ahead and announce what our next few movies are because they're going to be... Um, some pretty interesting ones. So uh, we're going to be doing Picnic at Hanging Rock for our next episode. Yeah. 
Um, after that episode, then we're going to go into an adult animated movie, actually. And oh, sweet Billy Jesus. What it, is it? It's not Fritz the Cat. I'll tell you that right now. Um, the, the adult movie that we're going to look at is a movie that came out in the 80s um, for episode 11. And it, I think it deserved a lot more respect than it got. Um, and it's a movie called Rock and Rule. Okay. Um, it's from Canada. And it was um, done by the same company. It was it was the first uh, feature length movie to be done by the animated uh, company called Nelvana, who went on to do the Alvin and the Chipmunks movie, and um, also the television series as well. So that'll be our our next film after Picnic at Hanging Rock. And. Um, after that, I'm actually going to have a very special episode with another podcaster. I haven't figured out what film you and I are going to do uh, next yet, Andy, but I'm going to also have a, a side episode that I'm going to be doing with one of the hosts of a podcast called Creepy Kitsch. Um, nice. Um, her name is Cindy Kennard. We've been friends for years. And we have a special bond over this movie because it, it, it was such a terrible movie, and we wound up actually doing a live Mystery Science Theater 3000 in the theater with the movie. To the point where after the movie was over, the five other people in the audience thanked us for doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that movie is The Relic, starring Pen- Penelope Ann Miller and Tom Sizemore. How dare you! Fantastic <laughs> movie. <laughs> so those are episodes that are coming up. Uh, the, the Relic will just be released, you know, randomly and whatever. But I, I haven't figured out what net film I'm going to expose to you yet after... Um, rock and rule but I, I i will let you know that the i mean i've heard good things about picnic at hanging rock i've seen rock and rule and it's an amazing movie this will these two films will definitely be palate cleansers for riding the bus with my sister well but aren't is there some other stuff we need to talk about well um it's gonna happen in the next couple months yes um while, while we're here um we're gonna be at a convention in dallas texas in march called Alcon. Um, and this will be basically like, um, I, I guess you could see the, say the debutante's ball for our podcast. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm listening. Are coming out to society basically. <laughs> um, because we're going to be hosting a couple of panels there as the podcast. We're going to uh, actually do an episode live at AllCon. Um, so if you, uh, want to, you know, see us do this show live, definitely by all means come see us. We'll talk about basically, uh, the show itself. We'll probably give some more anecdotes about the, oh my God, you know, movies that we've seen and, uh, also field some questions. It'll be interesting for us to hear what kind of questions, uh, some of the people have <laughs> for us <laughs> there. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of scared about that actually. Um, but if you are uh, listening to the show and if you are going to go to uh, AllCon, um, and it, it's going to be uh, March 14th through the 17th in, in uh, Dallas, Texas, um, the panels that we're going to be involved with uh, are we're going to be showing a fan film called Shrek Retold. We're going to be showing that twice on Thursday and Friday. Which is a very interesting film, to say the least. Uh, it is 200 artists got together to remake Shrek at a Shrek convention. First of all, there are Shrek conventions. We yes. should first address that. <laughs> there is a Shrek, it's called Shrekathon, and um, it exists. 
No, I don't. I don't want to think that it does, though. So <laughs> I'm going to go on not believing that is a thing. So we have that. We're going to be uh, we're going to be presenting that movie twice. Um, our live taping of the show will be on Friday at five o'clock. Uh, uh, so that's going to be Friday the fifteenth in the uh, room called Elm. So we'll be doing that. We're also going to be doing a midnight presentation on Friday night as well called It Came From the 80s, which is going to be a look at 80s schlock horror. Um, then Just all Ron Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Howard. Ron Howard. Uh, there's also going to be you know a number of other video presentations going on. Uh, one's going to be us looking at the incredible, horrible PSAs that told us everything that would kill us uh, called PSA on PSAs. Um, be presenting the uh, sh the film Tales to Poo Your Pants to on Saturday the 16th at 10 o'clock. And uh, you're going to be doing some game shows too, aren't you? Oh, God, I don't even know what I'm doing. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I noticed <laughs> yeah, I saw I onliners on here, so I'm assuming that's oh, yeah. you. There's a couple onliners that are going to be running at 9. Um, so we're fitting them in before some of our you and I's later stuff. So improv game show onliners. Um, we have people actually asking to be guests this year, which is really interesting. Um, instead of me running around begging people and then they have them having a great time. Um, and then various game shows that, um, that we're doing as part of the games and theory track, which Roy, are you hosting any of the game shows this year? Or yes, you I'm, act I'm, I'm hosting two of the game shows this year. Um, well, I'm hosting one as myself and then I'm hosting one as my character, Jaster. Nice. Um, the one that I'm hosting as Jayster is going to be on Friday, March 15th, right after Onliners at 10 o'clock. So and it's going to be – before that is also the all-con version of Match Game, which I think I'm going to be on the panel as Jayster as well. So I'm going to be Jayster for like from 8 o'clock at night till the end of the night because I'll be probably Jayster for the midnight screening also. So that, that right. makeup mask that I'm going to have on my face is going to cause me to break out. I just know it. Uh, but well, be sure to use your moisturizer. Yes, <laughs> get you some moisturizer. Don't worry. <laughs> but um, immediately after your game onliners on Friday night at nine o'clock, I'll be hosting "Don't Lose Your Geek Card: The Cult Cinema Edition." Nice, um, amazing prize package, including a very hard to find um, pressing on picture vinyl of the soundtrack to Blade Runner. And what's so hard to find about this one is not only a picture disc, but the Blade Runner soundtrack, whenever it was released on vinyl, it was done by the New London Symphony Orchestra. It was never released by original artist Vangelis. And this is the yep. actual Vangelis Jesus, score. that's insane. So, that's really cool. Yeah, so that's one of the many prizes that you could win um, on that. The other one that I'm doing is going to, I hate that they're putting this up against the costume contest, but oh well. Um, the on Saturday, March sixteenth at six o'clock, I'm doing "Don't Lose Your Geek Card" the Disney edition. Okay. Um, which is a Disney trivia, and you can win a '90s themed Disney prize pack with that as well. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm doing various, you know, comic book, um, comic book game shows, and God, God knows what else. I just show up, and then somebody <laughs> tells me to go do this thing, and then I go do that thing. So, you know, all over. But the, but it really is. AllCon is the best convention. It's a I, lot I just, of fun. I, 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 I haven't done AllCon in three years. So, which is a damn shame. Yeah, so I'm so happy to be finally coming back. Yeah, it's, it's the best. You just go, you know, it, and, and everybody's there. And it's, it's what I imagine a, 
you know, a conventioner's convention, if you're talking about like a comedian's comedian or, you know, an actor's actor, it's a conventioner's convention. Um, it's so, it's so much fun and, and I cannot wait. I can't wait to do the panels for this show at all. Like that's going to be, inc- I think that this, if, if the catalyst for this show was, this has been something that should have happened for the last five or six years. People kept telling us we needed to do a podcast together and not just like little appearances here and there on other podcasts or anything that you and I needed to actually do one together. And we finally found one that works. Then us being live at a convention is something that absolutely should happen because it's off the rails. Where oh, we actually control ourselves a little bit on a recording. And live, I can't make any promises. No, it's going to be totally unfiltered. So if you want to see Andy and I unfiltered, it's going to happen at all kinds. I'll, I'll have my one beer. Are you ready for that? Are you all ready for this? And Andy, sa- and, and Andy says that he's got recording equipment for us to record the show live. So, yeah, you'll get to hear how off the rails we get at all con. So, so next week is or next month is um, picnic at Hanging Rock. Thank okay. So uh, yes, I'm excited for that. That I'm should be a brain. Excited. That should be a brain scrubbing. And then March, March will probably do the live episode. We'll skip rock and roll and save that for April since we'll be doing a live episode in March. Um, and then in April we will do rock and roll, which I'm really dying for you to watch, especially since the villain of the movie is played by Lou Reed. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you don't bury the lead like that, jackass. <laughs> yeah, Lou, Lou, Lou Reed is the villain, and it features you know the vocal stylings of Debbie Harry and Blue oh, Oyster Court. What? You were just going to let me find that out on my own? <laughs> is Iggy Pop in it? Um, I believe he is actually. Hold on. Let me take a look here real quick. Hold on. Um, rock and roll, rock and roll. Is Tom Waits' pants in it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, rock and roll. It's got uh, Catherine O'Hara, Paul Lamatt, Lou Reed, um, Debbie Harry, um, Let's see who else is, and then there's, and that's that, that's just the voicing. The the soundtrack also has not only Debbie Harry and Iggy. It does have Iggy Pop, yes, Iggy Pop, uh, Lou, Lou Lou Reed, Earth Wind and Fire, Cheap Trick, and Billy Joel. Out of all things, <laughs> Billy Joel. <laughs> all right, I'm in. I'm in. I'm officially in. You had me at Lou Reed. You, you had me at Satellite of Love. Let's let's do it. <laughs> but I did for a second think that you said Lou Rawls, and I was even more in. <laughs> I was like Lou Rawls, hell yes, I'm oddly more in. All right, well, let's kick this on down the road, and uh, let me let me uh, scrub my brain out of a forced hysterectomy with uh, picnic on Hanging Rock. You got it. Alrighty, well, we will see you, uh, well, not see you, but we will speak to you all in, in February where we discuss Picnic and Hanging Rock. And again, um, you can find us on Facebook under uh, Cult Cinema Catacombs. You can find us on Twitter as these films exist. And also, when you get a chance, do go check out allcon.org. Um, not allcon.com, that'll lead you to something else. Allcon.org. It's four days of fun. It's it really is one of the best conventions I've ever attended. 
And I'm not saying that just to, you know, speak out of my ass. I really mean it. It is one of the best conventions I've ever intended. It is so much fun. And uh, hopefully we'll see you there. But until next time, talk to you all later.